The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Parenthood. Your life does not end here. Hi, I'm Chriselle Lim, mother of two. And I'm Sarah Son, also a mother of two. We are longtime friends and now mothers. This is Being Bumo, a podcast about all things parenting. We want to have honest conversations about motherhood so we can each define it for ourselves. We're here to build our village and we hope that you join us. Hello. Hi, Chris. Hi. How are you? I mean, happy March. It is March already. Is it springtime? I mean, not yet, but basically it is. And then it's summer. And then, I mean, the year, we're already halfway through the year. We're basically done with 2022. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But also January felt so long. Why? Was the longest. The yeah, I don't know. But I'm happy it's March. It feels like it's a fresh, kind of like you said, it's spring. It's a new season. I'm ready for it. Yeah, same. I mean, I April is my birthday. So oh, we're yeah. going to be celebrating all spring long. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about something that has been sitting kind of heavy on our hearts because a lot has been going on around the world and especially in the AAPI community. Obviously, it's nothing new. We've been experiencing this for the past few years with the rise of the Asian hate crimes, but we feel like we're seeing it all over again. And not that it disappeared, but it's definitely not getting any better. So we want to talk about racism within our, like, how to raise anti-racist kids. Also, our own stories about growing up as, for me, Asian American. Mm -hmm. And for you, it's... Asian, but not in the U.S. America, white U.S. context. Yeah. Yeah. Which is different, I, I assume. Yes. And I've been having to really grapple with that because the past three years, when every time I see, you know, something about a direct hate crime done to the Asian American community, it was so strange, but like, it was hard for me sometimes to understand it. I think I was, I'm kind of part of that group of people that, you know, naively believed that they were single incidents. Mm. I think I'm part of that group that kind of bought this concept of it's the one bad apple, you know? When Um, it started happening? When it started to happen. Mm -hmm. Maybe because I just wanted to believe that. I wanted to believe in that. I yeah. wanted to believe that it's kind of like a very rare incident. Yeah. It, there isn't real hate against our community. Why would that exist? You know, I think I just wanted to be more naive about it or more, I don't know, maybe just don't want to face it and like really confront it. And then really what was the turning for point for you when you're like, well, okay, just the repetition, the constant repetition, the yeah. constant articles, the constant Asian American women and and males too being attacked and killed. Yeah. I mean, after the incident of the women at the Korean spa, that I think was really the first time that I something connected and I think I started to really peel the layers a little bit. Was it was it mainly because you personally haven't experienced, I guess, racism being yeah. Asian within yeah. your upbringing? Yeah. So just to, for me, and then maybe we should share that. Like I'll okay. share my experience coming, being an Asian person in Guatemala, in like a Latin American setting. And then you can talk about it in this white America setting, which okay. is also, I'm thinking a similar experience to what my husband had. Yeah. And that has given, this whole thing has also given me so much insight to my husband because mm. there were certain things that I didn't understand about him. Mm. And we can talk about all that. 
I mean, I, we grew up in Guatemala. My family and I moved to Guatemala in 91. And during that time, there was no like obvious anti-Asian sentiment, right? We came in through the church. And in many ways, that was welcomed because Guatemala, Latin America was having a huge growth in like the Christian and Catholic faith. So those things were welcomed. We came in with resources to establish schools and build churches and things like that. So actually being Asian in Latin America, at least in that initial setting, was very good. Like we were always made feel good. We were always welcome. We were always like, they always wanted to be with us. They wanted to know more about us. They, we were more popular, more accepted because we were Asian, actually. Yes, there were the very isolated incidents of kids at school that would like stretch their eyes at me uh-huh. or call me chinita. Es que sos una china. Mm. And they would say it in like this tone where I knew that they were insulting me. But also I was so young that when they called me china, like Chinese and Spanish, it affected me, but not really where I was home crying, feeling completely offended. Yeah. I think I just like, oh, okay. I, w- I think for me, it was mostly like, oh, that's so weird that they think I'm Chinese because I'm a Korean. It was, I just, it was, it didn't phase me like that. I and maybe, see. and there were very isolated incidents. Like I think it happened maybe twice in my whole elementary, middle school life. Mm. And then when I went to high school, I went to a white American high school. And I didn't experience racism. I Again, because I was Asian, I was more accepted. I was more, I don't know, I, because I was different. I was more popular, more accepted or more well-liked in many ways. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's why I have a very different experience. And when I hear all of this Asian American hate and sort of just like all of this that's been happening, it just, it's for me, it was first like, this can't be real. Like, this can't be true. Like, I came to America because I thought everybody behaved this way. Yeah. Like, I was like, white Americans are so welcoming and they're so good. And they're, I don't know, that's not that that should be a surprise because there's plenty of good white Americans, obviously. But I don't know, the, the, the narrative was very different. Whereas here, it's just, there's so much tension constantly. Yeah. And it comes from the history that the U.S. has within all of its races. So I, I, I think I do have a bit of a different perspective. But when the spa attack happened and the way that that was, the response to that completely destroyed my naivety and hope mm. and willingness yeah. to now let any of this by. Yeah, no, there's definitely a pattern and there's definitely just like underlying similarity to all these attacks and reasoning behind it. And for me, I grew up as Asian American. I was born in Texas, grew up in Danville, California, which Mm -hmm. was predominantly all white people. Mm -hmm. I was probably one out of five Mm -hmm. Asians in my school, Mm -hmm. my sister being one of them. So it was very much obvious that we were different. And not that I think in the beginning, it was fine. I was a little naive too, given that I came from Korea, living in Korea for about five years, going to an all, it was either Korean American or Korean British or whatever it was, school in Korea. And so we were all kind of the same. So when I came to the US, I was like, oh, it's probably going to be like that because I went to school with white people in Korea Mm -hmm. and we were all kind of the same because we're all international. international. So coming to back to America and going back to the schools here, I was like, oh yeah, it's going to be like no big deal. 
But then I, I soon realized that I was, I became isolated and I started only hanging out with Asian, like the five Asian people at my school. And it wasn't that we did that on purpose, but they kind of excluded us from the rest of what they were doing. And, you know, it wasn't in your face racism. It wasn't like they were calling us a C word or like whatever it was, but it was small acts where they would just like not include us into things. And that's when it became very apparent that we were not wanted in, you know, in this setting. And so, you know, as that started to happen, I just clinged on to my Asian friends more and more. And we were kind of like this little posse that did everything together, but we never really immersed ourselves into other things just because we were always excluded. And, you know, at a young age, you know, not that young, we were in high school, but you start questioning yourself, like your own identity. Like, Mm -hmm. am I like, is Asian are Asians not cool? Yeah. Like, I remember you said in the earlier podcast that you even hid the fact that you loved K-pop. Yeah. Was that part of it? Yeah. Like yeah. I had, obviously coming from Korea, <laughs> I had an obsession with K-pop. I had obsessions with all sorts of, you know, fa- fashion and things, but I hid all of that. Except I have to say the one thing that I I started doing was fashion. Like I became so obsessed with dressing myself a certain way so I would feel attractive or I would feel included or cool. And that actually got me to be accepted amongst, you know, more of my non-Asian friends Mm -hmm. and people started noticing me. And that's why I always say fashion is my armor because Mm -hmm. it's when I wasn't confident, when I didn't feel like myself or feel good about myself, I'll throw on like a really cute juicy couture <laughs> velour tracksuit. <laughs> and all the kids, Asian, white, black, mm-hmm. everyone, they would be complimenting me. Yeah. And that made me feel so good. So I yeah. spent so much of my money, my hard earned minimum wage, <laughs> part time job money uh-huh. on just outfits. Yeah. And that allowed me to kind of immerse myself into, you know, other groups of friends. But yeah, it was early on where I, I noticed that we were not wanted mm. and that that makes you feel really crappy about yourself and your own identity. And so I would even like try to look not Asian for a long time. Like I would dye my hair. Yeah. I would I would like wear crazy makeup mm-hmm. just so I could hide the fact that I was Asian. I think we I, I did some of that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think we in turn I think part of my story too is that even though I felt or at least I was made to feel welcome because I was Asian in those settings. I do think that the bigger, and that was like in my school, that was very safe. And I'm very grateful for that. But I think outside of that very safe environment, I did start to see it, right? And like you said, you do start to become more Western in whichever way you can, whether that's dyeing your hair or like the whole Mm -hmm. crazy Sankapu thing. Like all of that is part of how we internalize belonging and acceptance. And I was definitely a part of that. Do you have a memory, like a clear memory when you, when somebody was, you know, like there was a slur or anything that you were? You know, I, this is probably like trauma like trauma acting, but, or reacting, but I don't really remember that much, Mm -hmm. which is, and I've heard that it's like a natural way to kind of like block that part of your memory in your life. 
Yeah, so yeah, I to like protect, like your body protects itself exactly. by like subduing certain memories. Yeah, I see. What you're yeah, saying. so okay. I don't remember too much and like specific, specific moments, but I do remember this one time when I I liked this guy in high school mm-hmm. and. I thought he liked me bad, mm-hmm. but then I heard from someone that he would never date me because I'm Asian. Oh. Yeah, and that really, really hurt. Yeah, and I remember just feeling like, yeah, that's just like, yeah, it, that does. I guess as personal as it gets, so yeah. personal. And then you just question yourself, and you you start hating how you look, yeah. and yeah, it was it was a really hard time for me during you know high yeah. school. Like yeah. I would never ever relive my high school ever again. Even in high school, were you still part of that like Asian group though? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So actually the Asian group that I was a part of, they were all a year older than me. Mm-hmm. So w- the year that was actually the hardest for me was when they all graduated. Oh, and, and you were I alone. was a senior because yeah. I didn't have that many friends as a senior. I had like two or three friends that were not Asian that I started hanging out with, but I wasn't that close to them because mm-hmm. my real close friends were like my Asian crew, but they were all a year older than me. Yeah. So... Yeah, but that was my one memory that I oh, that boy. like really hurt deeply. How about mm-hmm. you? I hope this the, this boy, whoever he is, I don't even remember can who see he you is. now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember like direct racism against me. I do think that, like you said, there are like tiny little microaggressions in like a, a bigger social aspect. Yeah. For example, my mom was not allowed to buy property in Guatemala in like the nice neighborhoods. Huh. And that's clearly a racist move. Even though she had like the cash in front, they just would not allow her to buy property in certain neighborhoods. What? Yes. So that, and that was relatively recent. That was like within the last 10 years, which is a reflection of still the Latin culture. Mm. So, I mean, I do, there are moments like that, you know, they still call us Chinese. It's part of their ignorance. In many ways, Going back a little bit to like you finding your little tribe in high school, I think that happened to me when I came to America. So when Mm. I was in Guatemala, I was with Latin people and then white Americans. And I didn't actually have Asian friends. There was one other Asian boy in my class, but like I just didn't really connect with him. Mm -hmm. And and then I came to to LA and I was like, holy moly, (laughs) look at all these Asian people. And they're so cool and they're doing amazing things and they're so beautiful and intelligent and evolved and normal, you know, uh-huh. and that's when I started to find my tribe. Mm. And honestly, for the, from that moment when I came to LA up until even now, to be honest, I kind of only befriend Asian people. <laughs> and I love that because I didn't have that growing up. Yeah. I always did feel like other, like a foreigner, Yeah, not necessarily like in this like really tense racist kind of world but definitely I felt different and then when I came to Los Angeles I just felt so good because there were other people that looked like me and thought like me and I started to build my little tribe and even in my neighborhood and the school even though they are predominantly white settings I find like all the Korean and Asian people and I just like be friends with them. Yeah she she's a mom who like will chase you down be like (laughs) be like let's be friends and I think that's a response to my specific experience Mm -hmm. because I think Finding your tribe is important. Mm. Finding your tribe helps you confirm your identity and gives you strength in your identity so that we're not constantly like dyeing our hair and trying to be a white girl or something, you know, something that we're not. So that felt really good to me. It was really healing. It was really important for me to have it. I feel the same way. When I moved to LA, I 
was like, whoa, there's a lot of Asian people here. <laughs> yeah. And like I started going to all these like Asian events and Asian yeah. parties. And like yeah. I, it was like a whole nother world to yeah. me. Yeah. But now looking back at it, well, not looking back at it, actually present day now, if you like, I'm sure those of you that are listening to this that have kids that are like a little older, maybe like seven and up. The obsession of like K-pop mm-hmm. and like mainstream music and beauty, it all ties back to Korea now. Mm-hmm. You're just like, wow, we've evolved. Like <laughs> we have come so far. Yeah. At Chloe's school, they have uh, the summer camp and they're just like, and it's like a party for pretty much the whole summer. <laughs> but they're just like blasting BTS. Like Chloe learned the BTS dance from her school. And I'm like, you're learning a cape, a Korean dance in your predominantly white school. Yeah. How crazy is that? That, that is, is unheard crazy. of. Yeah. Like 20, 30 years ago. For I mean, us. even five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So that makes me really happy and proud, which I guess kind of like leads us to the next conversation, which is how is this going to look like for the next generation for our kids? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So part of the whole, for me personally, in my journey of understanding my identity and now looking at it with a broader lens is that, so I come from, you know, being in a place where I'm other and then now I've, and then spending a decade and a half building my tribe. And now I think it's time for me to kind of step outside of that. Mm. And it, it makes sense because I also have children. And yeah. the point with kids is always to evolve and, prog- and, and and have progress, right? Chloe actually asked a very similar question, but it's because, and I had to educate my family and also her dad's family as well, both sides, because it's natural for Asian culture to obsess over Light skin color, skin color yes. which is very problematic. Very. I understand that. For those of you that may not be Asian that's listening on this, let me kind of educate or tell context, you guys yeah. con- the context of this whole idea of the fairer the skin, the paler the skin, the more beautiful you are. And that is just how if you go to Asia, like any Asian country, Korea, Japan, China, they all really pride. People won't be like, oh, she's she's sexy or she's beautiful. Or they literally will say she is so pale. Which and it's is, a compliment. It's a compliment, <laughs> <clears throat> which is so bizarre. But it's just how their beauty standards are there. And there's nothing that I can do about it because I'm considered very dark for being Korean. But this is a conversation that I had to have with my own family and also their dad's families because Chloe was born naturally very tan mm-hmm. and no one ever said anything about her skin color. They weren't like, you know, complimenting on her on her skin color. But when Colette was oh. born, Colette is pasty, yeah. pale, just like that porcelain, porcelain milky, milky skin. skin. And so the day that she was born, both sides of, of the family would not stop talking <gasps> about how beautiful oh. her skin color is. Yeah. And yeah. then so and then Chloe obviously took all of that in mm-hmm. and she observed mm-hmm. and put the dots together of oh because I'm not Colette's skin color, I must not be as beautiful as mm. her. And so she would say things like, "Mommy, I 
I want to be lighter. Mm-hmm. I want to be lighter. She would say that. She would say things like that. She's seven now, but she was as young as four yeah. when she put the dots together. And oh, so I had to have a conversation. So no one says that anymore. But again, th- this is just like unlearning what they have learned was normal to them, which is not okay for us here in America and for our generation, really. But that kind of goes back to the idea of skin color. Kids will will identify skin color and they'll say, oh, this is dark. This is light. This is black. This is white. And it's our responsibility from there to really kind of connect those dots of, okay, skin color is just literally the color, the of, color your skin. of your skin. And right. that is what it is. It's yeah. nothing more. It's nothing less. It doesn't yeah. make you more of a person or less of a person. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's so interesting what you said about your son, because I think it's an opportunity for us to give context, yeah. I think, to to what's happening. That Okay, so that was my point when like he came in with that comment just like, oh, no, you you are just darker skin because you've been on the beach all summer. And that was it. And then I, the conversation was over. And I think I kind of fought and resisted this whole idea that I have to talk to my kids about race right now in elementary mm-hmm. school, to be honest. I just because, again, because of my background, I am very comfortable with skin color. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's not that I'm colorblind. I'm not saying that because I understand that skin is tied to like an entire history of people. Mm-hmm. But when they're little, I just thought like, hey, they're little. Let's just focus on who loves pizza and who likes to play basketball and like find these commonalities. Don't focus on the differences as much. Yeah. I now I'm of the thought that I don't think we can do that. I think mm-hmm. we do have to actively talk to our children about race yeah. and racism in an age appropriate manner, in a way that they can understand and develop a sense for them that is more inclusive and more open and more like, I don't know what the word is like, you know, like just stand up for something that Mm -hmm. is good for everybody. So I think that's kind of what's been a bit of the progress for me that I kind of wanted to like, I'm just going to talk to them about it when they're a little bit older. Like they don't Mm -hmm. need to know about all of these things right now. It's what, what good does that bring? You know what I mean? Like, but I think it is really important to talk to them. Can you guys believe that we're already a few months into the year of 2022? I mean, the time flies by so fast. And one of my goals this year was to really spend more time together as a family doing hands-on projects to create more memories together. Our family did some light goal setting in the beginning of the year to do more fun activities. And I have to say that we're actually meeting those goals and I'm so proud of us. More than ever before, my time is so precious with the girls and I want to make sure that we're creating fun and memorable memories together and something that we can all share. And that is why I'm so thankful for our KiwiCo subscription because they literally send you in a box something that you can do as a family or your child can do with a little bit of your help. With KiwiCo subscription, your child can discover something new all year long. Kids can discover the engineering and mechanics behind every object, the science and chemistry of cooking, geography and culture from new cultures, and brand new art and design techniques, all through some seriously fun hands-on projects. We just recently did the KiwiCo Marble Timer, and it was so much fun for Chloe and I to do it together. Well, she did most of it, and I helped her here and there. 
we constructed a marble-powered mechanism that helps keep time. We experimented with the timer and designed new paths to help the marbles run faster, slower, and everything in between. Chloe's favorite part was watching the marbles go. Her face just lit up. Then we used our mechanism to time ourselves while creating colorful dip-dye wood art. It was really, really fun. This was Chloe's, I think, like 10th crate. I mean, we lost track at this point. We've done so many crates. She's been really into science and chemistry, and it's actually her favorite subject in school. And it's really been great to support her love for science. We just got the KiwiCo astronaut crate, and we'll be trying that out next. Your child can get super cool, hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered right to your door every single month. They'll be so excited to see these arrive in the mail. The day the box arrives will be their favorite day, trust me. And as a busy parent, I get it. It can be so hard to find creative ways to keep your child busy and challenged. KiwiCo does a legwork for you so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. There's something for kids of all ages. There's no commitment so you can pause or cancel at any time. Redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills all year long. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code BUMO at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com. Promo code BUMO. Hi, I'm Shanae Alexander, host of Press Send, a podcast, and more importantly, a safe and hilarious place for candid conversations about the scary, funny, heartbreaking, but always intriguing questions that make us all human. Each week, me and a new best friend you haven't met yet field your questions across any and all topics and offer our take on the matter with plenty of humor, heart, and badassery along the way. We launch a new episode of Press Send every Wednesday. We'll see you there. All right, so let's have a little lunch break. I'm going to share with you guys something that really helped me yesterday. Uh-huh. And I didn't even know that this existed, which shame on me because of course it does. But basically yesterday I landed from New York and I had to immediately go to a job in LA. So I went home, I stopped by and I dropped off all my stuff and I went directly to LA And for those of you that don't know, I live about an hour away from the city and it's just a pain to drive back and forth, especially during traffic hour. I I could be up in the car for up to about four hours back and forth, which is LA life. So I found out last minute that I had to be in LA for a nighttime event at like 10 p.m. And then the next morning I had to be back in LA by 9 a.m., for me, that doesn't make any sense. So I decided that I was just going to stay out here in the city. I stay in this like little hotel when I don't have the kids. And so I don't have to like do that whole commute back and forth. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. It's going to be so much easier. But then I realized I had nothing. Like I had no beauty products. <laughs> I had no cleanser to wash off my makeup. I had nothing. I didn't have pajamas. I was like, oh gosh, I just like drive back home and don't want to do that. So... I Instacarted it. Have you ever used Instacart? Yes, but not for that. Yeah. So Instacart, I guess it's there. And this is not an ad, by the way, because it's just a really cool discovery. I guess it's kind of like Uber Eats, but for literally anything. Like you could get not just groceries, but you could get pajamas, you get makeup, like it's medicine? whatever, no. anything. Maybe yeah. Medicine. So it's yeah, basically medicine. you could get delivered anything from Sephora, Target, Nordstrom, wherever, and you 
get assigned like this personal shopper and <laughs> you like pick out what you want. And then if they don't have it or your size, they'll like message you saying, oh, I don't have this, but I have this instead. And so I literally Instacarted my entire skincare routine. I got all travel size because I have so much skincare at home. I didn't want to waste any more money. Yeah. So I got all travel size from Sephora and I ordered some makeup. I also ordered some pajamas from Nordstrom. <laughs> I and just, it came immediately? It came, so like if, you, if you rush it, which yeah. is like an extra $2, yeah. which is totally worth it, then it could come within the next 30 minutes to 50 minutes. It's insane. That's crazy. Granted that I was in the heart of LA. So I think it's a lot more accessible when you're in a bigger city because there's probably a lot more people doing deliveries in bigger cities like this. Um, I'm sure if I was back where I lived at home and tried to do that, it would take a lot longer. But yes. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And so now I'm just addicted. I'm like, <laughs> what can I Instacart today? But that was a really cool experience. And I'm like, it just saved me so much time versus like having to go to Target, park my car, find parking, go wait buy the line. stuff, yeah. wait in line. I just like did it right from my hotel room. And it was the most convenient thing ever. So... Anyone that if you ever forget something, do not panic. Do not freak out. Just Instacart it. You'll be fine. This should totally be an ad, by the way. Really, really cool. Save my life. So that is my little lunch break for you guys. <laughs> Have the girls come back home saying anything that's happening at school around racism or their appearance? Colette? No, Colette's young. She's three. But Chloe, she did ask about because I think within her school she's seven and the kids talk and so I think there were some subjects about I remember when the election was happening like around that I was actually very surprised with the amount of stuff that she knew about Trump because I think the kids talk and so naturally it also bled into BLM she did she didn't know too much about it but then she did ask about what is BLM. Someone okay. in my class said something about BLM. Yeah. And then I had to explain it to her in a very kid-friendly way. Yeah. So again, not not personal racist attacks towards yeah. them, but just questions of what is this? I'm hearing it about it. And for me, that's an opportunity for me to like educate and, you know, share with her what's going on. Yeah. But she, what I know, she personally hasn't experienced anything yet. But I also think, again, as I mentioned earlier, that generation might be a little different because they're so much more exposed to the internet and outside the outside world that maybe diversity and race isn't so much of a thing like it was for us and our generation, right? Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. How about you? I mean, nothing personal towards my kids, but my, my sister did tell me that her son did experience, again, it's like the pulling of the eyes. Uh, and again, you know, they're in first, second grade. So it's, you know, not playful because it's definitely like a very direct response to the way he looks, even though he looks mostly Latino. I know. I was going to say, he doesn't even look exactly, full Asian. He doesn't. But, you know, to a Latino person, like he he looks Asian, I guess. Right. Uh -huh. So, you know, there was a little bit of that. And they do call him like Chinese. Again, similar experience that I had. But yeah, nothing, not like a... No, I get, actually, that is like a, what they call a microaggression. I'm, yeah, I don't. I shouldn't minimize it. I mean, I want to minimize it, but I shouldn't. It's right, and I guess we just use those moments again to arm them and to give them the tools to respond. And one thing that I've learned is just to ask questions and keep it open ended, mm -hmm. instead of you know, you know. I, I mean, we definitely never want to be like, oh, well, those kids are just 
ignorant or horrible mm. people, obviously, but just, you know, give him tools to to either explain himself, like, mm-hmm. oh, actually, I'm Korean, or um, actually, when you do that, it, make, it doesn't make me feel good, right? Like, give him the tools, give the kids the tools to stand up for themselves and then have a more open communication and talk to them about our history and how beautiful it is, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. and expose them to what our, our ancestors have overcome to give them like a really strong sense of yeah. self and identity and that they really are they are a moment in this whole story and that they can feel really proud about who they are and the way they look and the greatest thing is that we have so many books mm-hmm. especially for children that address this that really make them feel good and really make them feel normal and they don't have to if they want to dye their hair that's great but they don't have to dye their hair to feel like they belong right yeah. that's the difference right yes yeah. totally okay so what are some books or resources that are working that you guys are using at home yeah so Again, the girls are a little younger, so we're going through kind of more fun books. But I think, again, you're able to really create a strong foundation when you have it in more of a playful way. So with Colette, there's this book, and this is perfect for like three-year-olds, maybe even like, yeah, three-year-olds and up. But it's called Our Skin, and it's a very easy picture book, and it's like thick hardcover, and it just says very simple things like I feel beautiful and I am white I am black I mm-hmm. my skin color and it's like makes it very just in your face yeah. obvious yeah. and like pinpointing of like what they're trying to say and like everyone is different mm-hmm. everyone is special mm-hmm. everyone has different color skin and so she'll she just thinks it's a color book so she'll be like <laughs> black yellow white yeah. pink like yeah. she'll just go through it and I think that is a I great start that. yeah at that age we have another book called rebel girls which is for older girls Chloe is I think age appropriate now she's seven but it talks about different history of women that are doing incredible things they feature a lot of diverse women out there and kind of their background they also go into, you know, history in a very kid-friendly way, which I love. Eva Chen just came out with a book called I Am Golden, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful book. We just got our hands on it. And it's just about a little Asian girl. And I I think we need more books like that where the main character are Asian. And then there's another fun one called Yum Yum Dim Sum. uh (laughs) Colette and Chloe are half Chinese, half Korean. And so I want to make sure that they understand both cultures really well. And so Yum Yum Dim Sum is about a little Chinese girl who loves her dim sum. And it, it just talks about her her family traditions, what they do when they go get dim sum. So Colette, this one night, I don't know if you saw my stories, but she was talking to her sister and her sister was already asleep, but she was pretending to read the book to her. And she's like, Chloe... We go eat yum yum dim sum tomorrow. I want yum yum dim sum. I get one. You get one. And it's just, I don't know. It's the sweetest thing. But those are my recommendation for really good age-appropriate books for kids. How about you? God, that moment. Um, Okay, we actually have the Rebel Girl series. And like you said, it's fantastic. And even my son loves it, even though they mostly, you know, they feature only women. But it's a really good one. There's a book called Eyes That Speak shoot eyes that kiss the corner shoot what is it called eyes 
I just looked it up. It's a I, very hard. Eyes That Kiss in the Corners by Joanna Ho. That one's really good. And they have a second book called Eyes That Speak to the Stars, mm. which features a boy. And that that's her new book. Those are both so good, so sweet, so like, because the eyes is like the first thing, right? It's like the, it's one of the, 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 the one of our physical features that like really give away our, our background. So they, you know, focus on really making sure that you know that your eyes are precious and so beautiful and tied with the stars and your ancestry. So oh, we love, love those that. books. It, it's so wonderful. I, I mean, honestly, I wish we had them when we were younger, mm, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a series by Lila Lee, um, which is the Mindy Kim series. It's, I think it's three books. It's fantastic if your kid is maybe at like third grade level reading. Mm. I, I mean, or whatever. I don't even know. Like kind of elementary level. Um, it's just a story of a girl who goes to school, opens a seaweed business, and just like all of the ins and outs and the obstacles she has to overcome. It's so cute. My daughter has read it straight for a year, like reads it over and over and over. It's a series of them. In that series, there's also a Lunar New Year parade, and mm. it's really sweet. And then for like slightly more advanced readers, there's a series called Front Desk. So good. Three books, I think. And also my son read them, again, centering Asian American stories and cannot recommend them more. I love those. I, I'm going to have to, I mean, Chloe's not there at that reading level yet, yeah. but I'm sure she will get there soon. So they're wonderful. And I'm just so grateful they have these books. Yeah. Just, I, it makes all the difference. All the difference. Yeah. I mean, I was at your house the other day and I was walking out and I saw your daughter's laptop and it was covered with <laughs> BTS stickers. <laughs> And I, I giggled because one, it's really cute. I'm like, oh, she's at that age now. But two, I was like, how freaking awesome that it's BTS mm -hmm. versus like a Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Or I mean, I, I was the biggest Backstreet Boys fan, but I didn't have a choice. That we was didn't. the only boy, boy group. band, yeah. boy group that was cool and hot and like relevant. And but, on TV and on the magazine and like just in your yes. face all the time. I mean, yeah. now it's hard to get away from BTS. I'm like, <laughs> okay, this They're is everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> But I was like, that made me really proud. And it was a moment where I was like, okay, I, even though we feel like we're still in, you know, this battle and this fight, we are making progress in that sense for the next generation. Yeah. That's normal to them. And that's really freaking awesome. Yeah, I'm holding on to that because this yeah. week has felt really heavy with mm -hmm. the latest hate crime. And so, oh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to like keep it together sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think just bringing more awareness to people that are willing to talk about it, yeah. share it with, you know, obviously not their kids, but like sharing tools and ways that the future generation, so they don't have to go through that. You know, I, I think that's the purpose of all of this is really so the next generation doesn't have to experience what, what we're experiencing now today. Yeah. I think that's where it starts. It yeah. starts by really fueling them with confidence in who they are mm -hmm. and giving them a sense that they do belong here. Yeah. And then I think, I think a hope and pray that the rest sort of solves itself as we continue to do what we need to do in our generation is solve and help break down all of the stigma and stereotypes yeah. against us and against other people of color. And we, we have no other choice. Yeah. Well, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. I hope that you found this episode inspiring and helpful and hopefully encouraging to really just be able to speak up and, you know, 
stand up for what you believe in. With that said, please, please, please leave us a review. It would just mean the world to us. We pour our hearts into these episodes, so it would really help our podcast. Also, make sure to um, leave us a little DM or tag us in stories. We, we love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We want to keep this conversation going with you. So please leave us a DM on Instagram and make sure to follow us and subscribe to our podcast. And we would love it if you left us a review. Also, if you're in the Los Angeles area, make sure to visit us at Bumo Work at Westfield Century City Shopping Center. And if you're looking for educational-based content entertainment for your little ones, visit us at www.bumobrain.com or at Bumo Brain on Instagram. 